We're joined by Tim Pachota, the Liberty Advisor, and the one and only Colin Cantrell of Nexus. First of all, thank you both for joining us today. We have some insane news coming. I mean, what what a day for oil. And uh, as many of you might know, oil has been in a tailspin over the last uh, couple of weeks. But what we've witnessed today is unprecedented. And if Tim could pull up the article, it says historic day for oil markets as WTI crude crashes below zero for first time. Now, we're going to go into all this and more. First of all, make sure to hit the like button, check those links below. And we're going to jump to uh, Colin Cantrell right now. I wanted to hear your thoughts on this absolute bloodbath that we're witnessing right now in oil markets. Frankly, I'm a little surprised that it happened so quickly. But I mean, and it's to be expected, I guess you can say. And I mean, it's, I think, kind of all part of the transition away from fiat-based economies because the petrol dollar is the only reason the dollar has been remaining, you know, the reserve currency of the world for, you know, since they removed the gold standards. So, I mean, it pretty much is the underlying backing of the entire you know, U.S. economy and the U.S. dollar, which is a huge thing, which, I mean, it's just showing the folly of fiat currencies. And, I mean, it's it was bound to happen. I mean, to the extent, though, I mean, it's pretty shocking how quickly it happened. I mean, I was sending live reports to different people like $5, $3, $1.50. And then it went to zero. I mean, they froze the markets now at one penny. Uh, but, yeah, it's – I've never – I've just – absolutely yeah. unprecedented. And I think – First of all, we have to answer a question that most people probably have right now. How does oil go below zero? How how does oil go into the negatives? How is this even a thing? How does that work? Um, basically, from what I understand, it being a commodity and a futures, the futures are able to actually go into the negative because you're determining a future value. So there's deficits that have to be covered from the production of oil. So I believe since it's a commodity, that's precisely um, how it works. I mean, Tim would be able to answer a little bit clearer on that. He's more the economics guy. I'm kind of more tech. Yeah. Yeah. So how how that all breaks down is that basically right now, this is for the futures delivery. We did actually see from Kingsley Edwards float account where it showed, I think it was negative $35. I was watching live when it was negative seven. So it's the first time I've watched CNBC in probably three months, just because I, you know, I was juggling a bunch of stuff like okay let's see what propaganda they're spitting out and all of a sudden i'm watching the screen and it's like we're at 15 cents we're at 14 cents we're at 10 cents oh we're going to commercial break then we come back from the commercial break and now we're negative a dollar now we're negative seven dollars now we're negative eight now that's where i i left off at negative eight dollars but what is happening is that is for physical delivery and so you get a certain amount i'm not an oil expert but what happens is you get a certain amount of uh of oil capacity then you get a certain amount of drilling every day and then since the supply of oil has been actually increasing while the demand for oil has been greatly decreasing. There's about a 25 million barrel per day uh, delta in there where, where there's this glut of oil. And so now there's no more places to store that oil, but yet the producers are producing the oil because it's not like they can just flip a switch and just shut it off. Because in order to shut down a well, sometimes it might cost millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars, or it might cost so much that then the process of trying to, it's like trying to turn on and off like a nuclear reactor. You just don't dial up a switch and turn it on and off. And so the so if, if people are projecting, okay, Maybe they're listening to Ben Bernanke and they think that this is just a snowstorm and this is just going to pass in a week or two. Or maybe they're looking at like Steve Mnuchin or some of these other clowns that think that everything that's going on is just you know short-sighted. And so if they're looking out and saying, okay, if things will be back to normal or 
more regular regular in a month or two, then we're going to keep this flowing right now, literally. And so then that way, the oil will then go to, uh, you know, so literally they're paying people to take it off their hands because th- they are viewing it would cost way more money to, to shut down and have mm-hmm. to bring it back online again. And that's the best, you know, uh, sort of, you know, how I can piece this together. And just one other quick aside, when I first started going live uh, today or did a show with Luke Radowski on Change the News and he was like, yeah, oil is at $4. I'm like, no, you must have read it wrong. I'm like, I just saw it two minutes ago and it was at $10.50. He goes, no, it's at $4. Yeah. And so because it's Luke, I'm like, no, no, I'm going to I'm gonna go check this out. I'm like, holy crap, you're right. And then Colin's texting me and Kingsley's texting me and you're texting me. And I'm like, holy crap, this is just insane. And uh, yeah, yeah. That's it, when, it, when I saw 60... 60- All right, it looks like one of us froze. Hopefully, it's not. Uh, it looks like it might be Josh over there. Who Josh actually does have the actual real backdrop. It does sorry, Colin has got the real backdrop behind him, and Josh has got uh, you know a fake backdrop, but he's got being the called real- crazy. Uh, yeah, I was being called crazy when I said um, that we could see twenty dollar a barrel, and people said no, that's not going to happen. We went below zero, so I, I don't know what to say. But how is this going to affect? Um, you know, the most oil dependent countries. I mean, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Canada, Iran, many countries around the world are heavily dependent on on oil. Canada obviously has a petrodollar. I mean, how is this going to affect those economies? What do you think, Colin? I mean, I think we're going to see unprecedented printing of money. Um, I mean, demand's going to have to come back, but I mean, there's nothing they can do right now. I mean, the deficit, I think it was like 10 or $15 is the minimum operational, you know, value of the I think like 20, they're really starting to hurt too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I mean, there's nothing else they can do. You can't produce the oil right now. There's there's no profit for it. it. Literally, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I knew it would happen. I mean, I'm expecting to see just massive strums of money. You know, I can mean, you maybe can, can, can compare this to like Bitcoin mining? Because it's, you know, very similar when you saw, you know, like in China, where let's say it, at one point maybe it cost $8,000 to mine a Bitcoin, but yeah, Bitcoin was trading at six. I'm not saying today, I'm saying like, like in the past, you've seen different uh, situations like that. For a while, and I'm guessing they're just going to be pushing the print button. I mean, and this is this is how I, I at least foresee, you know, the, the the hyperinflation cycles to start kicking off is, right? I mean, we had bigger deficits now than 2008, right? Even bigger. This is something Tim and me were talking about yesterday. Wait, the what button? The what button? Oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly, right? And then, <laughs> so now they're printing, 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 printing. Now they've had to double the national debt just to cover the deficits of all the airline companies and the big corporations, right? Now... They have an entire global industry that is at zero. Like literally it is at zero. I'm watching, you know, the UK standard oil and then the Texas standard oils are starting to go down too because they're starting to get brought down. But I mean, it's decimated. So, I mean, they have no choice. If they want to keep functioning, they're going to have to print massive sums of money and magically figure out how to get people to open up. They're probably going to go more herd mentality. They're going to get starting in desperate modes. I mean, it's it's not looking good. And then, I mean, we're going to see another 20 million trip, you know, yeah. another 20 million trip. And then another tournament. And everything is getting unbelievably, unprecedentedly desperate uh, as far as the global economy goes, as far as markets go. And I wanted to, before we get into any further, uh, make sure to hit that like button on the video, guys, and check those links below. Now, I, I have to um, ask, I mean, how did this start? We are seeing something absolutely unprecedented today. But how did this start? I mean, there was a battle between Russia and Saudi Arabia, and it kind of all culminated. Yeah, well, they they broke the trade OPEC deal where they wanted to start basically bumping up the volume. 
And so they started just ramping up the volume. And then the global supply, I mean, completely died because everybody's staying home. Nobody's even driving to work, right? So there's really very little demand. I mean, supply chains were stalled for a little bit. So I think we're seeing a delayed effect of that reduced demand, right? So, I mean, the only thing that they can do right now is like try to get demand in oil and try to pump money into it and, you know, cover the deficits of all these oil companies so they can keep pumping oil out, right? I mean, we're probably going to see a lot of the big, you know, oil companies start to go under. I mean, gas, maybe a sub dollar. And I think it's also going to be a really strong indicator to people that we can't rely on these types of commodities, especially oil is a dwindling commodity. I mean, there's less and less and less of it every day, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have projections. They got found some oil, you know, in the States and everything to kind of continue to increase the supply. But we all know it's 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 on its way out. And we know it's bad for the environment. I mean, it's just it's not good all the way around as far as like having an overly dependent economy on it. Right. So, yeah. I mean. Some lessons. It's, it's not about like government coming in and saying no more oil. We're going to switch over to all these things by force. One one of the things I find interesting is that industry is naturally going in the direction of different kinds of sustainable energies. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some of them are hypocritical. Some of them are actually worthy of uh, looking at. But well, uh, we're see, definitely seeing. Like, I mean, a little bit of a positive light because there's a lot of hysteria. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of. I'll just use an analogy, right? Every seed is born in darkness, right? The seed, it has to be planted in the dark. It only germinates in the darkness and it has to struggle through that soil to finally reach the light and sprout, right? Mm-hmm. We're in a similar situation. I see where there's a seed planted, right? Of this new, you know, like crypto is, you know, libertarianism. Like we're seeing all these waves of change around the world, right? Except and some like, places you can't buy seeds because they're not deemed as being essential. So, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, barring that, sorry. <laughs> That's just part that's just part of the process. You know, I mean, it may look really bad right now, but really what I'm seeing is that a lot of things that have not worked very well are being cleared out of the way for things that work better. And that's just the natural progress of things. And you know, our, our economies are just hopelessly dependent on oil. And I mean, there's other alternatives, right? I mean, we have electrical, we have nuclear, I mean, there's even hydrogen energy systems, there's solar. I mean, granted it has a way to go, but I mean I, I've seen the oil industry, like, I mean, granted, I love cars. Don't get me wrong. I like to race cars. It's like me and my dad race cars. They're fun. They're beautiful. Amazing machines. But I mean, the industry in itself has just become just like many of the other ones. And I think it's a, a fatal, a fatal strategic choice, I guess. I mean, they had to make the petrol dollar to cover, to keep the U.S. dollar, like, as a primary reserve currency. You know, they forced everybody to use the U.S. dollar to buy oil to keep it afloat. And, you know, I mean... The house of cards, right? And I think the, how should I say, the intelligence quotient is getting much, much lower of the minimum requirement to realize things just are not (laughs) working. Yeah. It's getting more and more obvious, which is a good thing because there's going to be that point where people finally say, you know, we've had enough. Like, let's take this into our own hands. The problem is that people think somebody's going to save them. Like, Trump's going to save us. They're going to print out some money. They're going to save the stock market. No. That is the dying idealism. That is the idealism that's dying. The idealism that's growing, emerging that seed is the self-dependency, decentralization, communities, network effects, right? And that is what's going to take the precedence. That's the basis of humanity itself, just, uh, you know, personal responsibility. Exactly. You know, and that's the basis of anarchism, right? But the law and the system teaches us not to have personal responsibility. They teach you to follow and listen and, you know, go to college and not take anything into your own hands to think, you know, differently. And now people are going to have to think differently. Evolution doesn't happen in this like sequential series of steps over time. It happens in leaps and bounds, quantum leaps, right? 
it a point of a precipice because you have to have this precipice, this brink of destruction to have the motivation to change. Because changing, right, if we do physics, it's an accelerated, it's time squared, right? It takes exponential more energy to accelerate something. So when you're changing direction, you're modulating the acceleration, right? So to change the direction of something with a large momentum takes an incredible amount of energy. So people don't have the motivation to do it until we see moments like this. So mm. is this going to be the moment that's going to start to get people to see like, oh, maybe we need to start looking at other options. You know, I mean, maybe this isn't going to pan out so well. And I think that's just, I think it's just going to continue. It's going to continue more. I mean, there's anarchy everywhere. There's 5G towers are getting burnt from a conspiracy that's not even true, right? I mean, the <laughs> people in the government is so yeah. high. I mean, I dude, like if you could trade trust like futures, man, we'd be like negative 50% by now, right? Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's Which would actually still be smaller of a decline than what oil's done today. Too, yeah, so. I know. Dude, more than a hundred. It went down by more than a hundred percent. And so, and honestly, there is a certain changing of the guard that always happens. It always takes place in markets. So for example, there were milkmaids and people were mad when they got rid of milkmaids and started using machines to, you know, uh, produce milk. And obviously uh, th there was the same thing with horses and buggies and the people who made the wagon wheels and then dealing with cars and this kind of technology. The fact of the matter is a lot of people will suffer when oil goes down as far as jobs in Alberta, in places like Texas, in places all over the United States, all over the world. It's going to affect a lot of people. It's also going to completely drastically change the face of the uh, monetary system worldwide as well. And it's going to uh, shift a lot of power as well. That's another major thing. Um, and, you know, there's going to be really bad things that will come with this and really good things that will come with this. But it is the way that the market works. And I wanted to um, ask kind of just how you feel. Like th There's pros and cons. Uh, could you guys go over some of the pros and the cons so that people can kind of weigh out the odds here? Because I see a lot of people commenting here. Uh, well, you know, this is going to destroy jobs. It's going to devastate places like Alberta and Texas, which is absolutely true. But um, long term, I think that's one of those things where it, you know there's positives. It's going to create jobs in areas that are more productive to you know a healthy functioning society. Right now, our mm -hmm. society, our economics are based around perpetual consumption. Oil is a perfect example of it, right? And so that the pro of it is that this this not working system is being shifted away for something that's going to change it. Right. And this change, I think, is going to in the short term, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But in the longer term, we're going to start to see more of these changes taking place. We, we have safe haven now. Like we have Bitcoin, we have cryptocurrencies. We can start to function without the need for government. We can start to function creating our own distributed trade routes. I mean, it, we don't need these centralized markets. We don't need everything that we have. And this is becoming more and more apparent that that, you know, <laughs> that's true. I mean, we've been saying this for a long time. Right, Colin, can you talk about maybe like microgrids and people becoming their own power stations and renewable yeah. energies and other certain coins trying, not necessarily your coin trying to do that, but I know there are people trying to solve that problem. Moving to distributed economies. It's going to be moving to people trading locally, right? Here's a good, here's a good thing, right? We go farm something out here, let's say in Arizona. Then it gets on a truck, it gets shipped all the way to Illinois to a factory to be manufactured in this factory. And then it gets put in nice little boxes and then shipped all the way back to Phoenix to be sold, right? That's an incredible amount. Or of, even China or like the Smithfield stuff would go to China, then come from China all the way back over here. Yeah, and how much that is, right? Now, the other side of it too, toxins are geographic, right? They're, each different area has different sets of toxins that are unique to that area. So when you're taking food from one area to another area, your body is not used to those toxins. It's a foreign toxin. So it actually causes you to get a little bit sick. So 
in general, we want to have things be more distributed where I can manufacture something here and locally produce it and then sell it at a local store, right? It makes more sense. When we start having a dwindling oil economy, like, you know, we're going to start to see, hey, well, let's start thinking efficiently, right? Let's start seeing, you know, this problem, not as a problem, but a challenge to overcome to better ourselves as a society as a whole, right? So, you know, this whole self-sovereignty is what's going to happen because right now, guess what? The government isn't saving you. The government's not doing it. They're just printing money to save their own, right? It's, it's up to us now. Like we have, yeah. we have to take these into our own hands. We can start creating our own local trade routes, right? We can create localized food stamps, right? With tokens on Nexus or whatever other cryptocurrency, right? And we can create disaster response systems. We can use game theory to incentivize the deployment of new mesh networks that create telecommunication systems that also use, you know, proper harmonics with our bioelectrical frequency so we don't get so much disturbance, right? I mean, these are the things that are going to start to happen because we now don't have the luxury to not do these things. <laughs> we don't have that luxury. We have to. If we want to see things move forward, if we want to see this turn into a positive, we need to take our own sovereignty. So that's the most positive thing about it because, I mean, an individual finding their true freedom and their true self-dependency and serenity is a gift that you cannot buy. Nobody can get, I mean, nobody can give that to you but yourself, right? And, you know, this situation, if you utilize it as such, you can do the same thing. You can better yourself from it. You can say, okay, well, I'm going to start talking to my local farmers and saying, hey, you know, we need to start working out some local traders. I'm concerned about supply chain. Mm -hmm. Start doing some talking. Reach out to your local neighbors. I'm sure other people are concerned. But sitting there and worrying about it and concerning about it and not doing anything about it, that is the definition of anxiety. Right. We're begging the government to, to help or save you. Yes, do something about it. Like, do something. Do something constructive. Even go to the store and get a little bit of extra food. Or go to your neighbor that you know is a farmer and say, hey, can you teach me to farm? I'd like to grow some seed. You know, I mean, like, these things are going to become more necessary for us to build up our own infrastructure because we're going to be able to rely on the government less and less and less and less and less. It's only going to continue down this path. So, I mean, the fact of the matter, and we can see this from history, in a crisis scenario, we create the greatest things. We um, become the strongest people. And, you know, it's that old saying, uh, you know, good times create weak men, weak men create, uh, good, you know, uh, hard times, hard times create strong men, strong men create uh, good times. And it goes in a circle forever. And uh, Tim, I wanted to ask um, your thoughts on the you know, how central banks will compensate for this issue that we're currently witnessing as far as printing currency. We see that for sure as already, a very already plausible know. situation. In, well, in, in Canada, I mean, they're already talking about just printing and printing. I mean, again, another example of the old guard system meets a new guard system. Um, what do you think, Tim? How, how are they going to be uh, dealing with this? They're just going to hit control P, except now they don't need, maybe it's control D now because it's not even printed. It's just all digital. And that's how they're going to quote, nuts. quote, that's quote unquote, yeah, these nuts. They're just, that's how they're going to save everything is just printing money. But what they're doing is because the crux of all this is not really even about the stock market. The bigger issue in all this is actually the bond market. And so since the bond market is the big behemoth 800-pound gorilla in the room over here, everything has been geared towards saving the bond market from these companies defaulting. Now, let's talk – we're talking about oil here. Uh, it was something, I think it was like around like 12% of the high yield, aka junk bond market was oil companies. And so now we see the Federal Reserve coming in via their, uh, you know, I call it subsidiary, I guess it's not subsidiary, via BlackRock, or now BlackRock, who is also, you know, one of the largest holders, if not the largest holder of high yield junk bond funds. Now they get to offload all the crap that they were speculating on and made a bunch of money on, get to now sell it for a hundred cents on the dollar to the Federal Reserve. 
And so if there's losses, we, the people, are the ones who are in a first loss position. And so then all the Q-tards and everyone is saying, oh, look at that. Donald Trump has now you know, nationalized the Fed. He's did a big end run around the Fed. And now this is where all the people in the comments are like, screw that guy or you know, a few <laughs> of them. Uh, but in terms of what's yeah. going on, this was a end run around to save the bond market. And I'll say that in, in quotes. And so as a bondholder, you are now the highest uh, basically lien holder of a company. And so if the company were to go out of business, you would then own the assets. And so if the Federal Reserve then comes in and own, not if they're already doing this, buys up the ETFs that then own the oil bonds, and now the oil companies go out of business, then the oil companies and the asset is now owned by the Fed, except they never had that money to begin with. They printed that money up out of thin air and then now took the money out of thin air to then buy up a real asset, which is why you know the founding fathers said things like, if we ever allow private private central bank to issue the currency and credit of this nation first by inflation, then by deflation, we'll end up homeless on the continent our forefathers conquered because while we're losing our homes, they're coming in with fake money that they just printed off, buying up all the assets, all the resources. And so what can happen is that then those assets are then owned by pension funds. They're owned by, uh, I mean, let's just stick with the pension funds. So if you were to have, let's say, even if interest rates were to go up 1% and you had a 10-year bond, the underlying rate would go down by 10%. So if you've got a million dollars, rates go up 1%, now your million dollars principal is now about 900,000. Now imagine that number is not a million. Imagine if it's 40 trillion. Imagine it's 50 trillion. Imagine if it's hundreds of trillions and then there's derivatives tied to those. Now, what's different now than in 2008, and this is sort of a long-winded answer, but in 2008, the oldest baby boomers were, were just turning 62 years old. Now it's 12 years later, they're 74. Now they're not mm -hmm. being necessarily being forced to take from their 401k. They're broke. And so they have to take from their 401ks, their IRAs. And what is going to happen is that that was able to recover in 2008. And I'll say that in air quotes, recover. Well, now they don't have another 10, 12 years to recover. And they're going to have to start pulling. If you start pulling from an asset that has been shellacked, like let's say, you know, and, and Colin would know about this, you know, and you guys did it the right way and you didn't do an ICO and you didn't do anything with, you know, all the crap that was going on because, you know, you guys were going back to like OG days of, you know, 2014, I believe. However, what, what went on in 2017 in the crypto market is these companies raised money in Ethereum. Then Ethereum, uh, I don't know what it got up to like twelve, fourteen hundred dollars, maybe higher than that. And then they were raising it at these, you know, levels above a thousand. And then all of a sudden, Ethereum crashes. I don't know, like seventy bucks. And now, if you are holding on to Ethereum and you have to go make payroll, all of a sudden, you know, your Ethereum is never coming back in value. If you have to have millions of dollars go out the door every month or every year to pay different staff, and so then it put people like Colin and other people in tough positions. I mean, you guys weren't, you know, because of Ethereum, but it's still, it's, it's called that sequence of return risk. And that sequence of return risk was going to devastate the pension funds. And now it's going to, but the thing is when you, when you make a change over here, well, then it messes up something over there. And so you can believe me that the changes that they've made to quote unquote, fix something over here has effed up a bunch of things over there. And then they're going to do things over there. And that's going to mess up a whole bunch of other things over here. And there is no way out of this. And so we're in a controlled demolition, except the people that are in control have already lost control. They just are pretending that they're still in control. Uh, and, and so just even look at the oil prices. I mean, yeah. Donald Trump was just taking a victory lap a week ago saying that he's going to have some sort of special tariff to make sure oil can never fall below $50. And so it's sort of like in Canada where Canada went to go sell 
uh, weed last year, and they lost money selling freaking weed. It is for twenty. Well, yeah, so we gotta make that you'll never too. find an efficient government as much as you look. You'll never find a government that's efficient. They can't efficient even make money selling weed. I mean, come on. Well, yeah, and they're still throwing people in jail for fourteen years for having over an ounce. But I, I want to mention that uh, the closing bell is in about fifteen minutes, and I'm looking and. Uh, right now, as most people in the chat are mentioning, that we are looking at a negative $37.63 on futures uh, right now. So, I mean, <laughs> that's just uh, – that's totally unprecedented. That's just – that's ridiculous. I, If it wasn't so crazy, I would be laughing my ass off right now. But um, uh, right now, at the same time, the Dow is down 2.12% on the day, uh, 513 points. And um, I want to, uh, uh, you know, let people in the audience watching right now, because we have up to about 600 people watching at the moment, uh, send in any questions, super chats help hit that like button, check those links below. Of course, uh, if you've just joined us, we are witnessing a absolutely historic day for oil as we witness it go into the negatives, far into the negatives, $37 into the negative is pretty uh, substantial. Um, and obviously that is something that we do not see every day. Uh, Never. we were called crazy. What was it a month ago or a month and a half ago when we said it would go down to $20? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I remember making that joke because I, I remember it was saying that oil could go down to 30 and then inside the article it said it can go down to $20. And I said, made that joke, you know, $20 is $20. And then people call us crazy. And now we wait, we, we didn't even, I mean, no one was saying negative $37. I mean, that's just, I, I can't even, I don't, I don't have words for this. It's just absolutely insane. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. And I see a lot of people commenting about um, the fake stimulus and all that stuff. But a lot of people have, have, uh, are asking about their pensions and how this could affect pensions uh, in uh, some countries that are oil dependent. Honestly, I've seen this is a study that we went into uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, where it showed that globally by the year 2050, we could see a $400 trillion shortfall in, in pensions yeah. worldwide. So, and and I mean, they don't even count. And, and so let me back things up because I accidentally discovered this for a client uh, last year working for a big Fortune 500 company. And I noticed some of the language in there. And there was a current funding ratio and then like a like a historical funding ratio. And so I'm like, why is there two different numbers and how the pensions funded? And, and so I dug into that a little bit. In 2015, I can't remember the name of it. It was something like you know, securing Americans retirement because we love you so much and we're the U.S. government act. And so I read it and what it said was that the pension companies are actually mandated to use a trailing 25-year LIBOR rate. So that's the London Interbank offering rate. And so it's sort of like a global like Fed funds type rate. And so by using a trailing 25-year rate, they can show assumptions of earning up to six, seven percent inside of their, uh, inside of their, uh, inside of their portfolios. When in reality, if you used a current LIBOR rate or current Fed funds rate, it'd be zero. So, uh, so they're able to use for like half their portfolio a number that's complete BS uh, and not reflective of reality. And then even using those numbers, they're still screwed. And so they can't even like Illinois was already at 25% funded last March, like way before all this stuff. When the very first, if you go back to the very first video that I ever had in a way, not, not when you interviewed, not when you interviewed me, but I, we had my yeah. presentation from Anarchizona 20, I already figured all the years, 2019, uh, given almost ex a little over about 13 months ago and take that presentation and it shows you all the problems in this economy. And it's just so freaking maddening. And, and the main thing I was trying to protect people against was the sequence of return risk because that 
because with all the baby boomers, not saying using boomers like all, but with so many of them getting ready to retire right now or just retired, they're done. Like they've just been decimated. Now they're freaking out. They're selling at the worst time possible. They're not going to get into Bitcoin and crypto until it's way too late. Like, oh, when it's at 100,000, hypothetically, now they're going to be like, oh, hey, Colin, hey, Tim, hey, Josh, can you teach me about this Bitcoin? If we see enough inflation, Bitcoin will be at 100,000 in no time. I already have that happening, Tim. I have friends that I've talked about it, haven't heard from for years, and they're like, hey, buddy, you know, I'm thinking of getting into crypto now, looking for a backup plan. I'm like, that would be a good idea. Yeah. And it was a good idea a few years ago, too. And hey, I, I want to uh, reach out to everyone, um, send in those super chats, send in your questions, hit that like button. Colin, I wanted to add, we mentioned earlier, you know, power shift, what, what we're witnessing with uh, the oil market right now could lead to a massive power shift. One of those things being that so many wars are based in oil uh, revenue. I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on how this could shift. It could it be a bad thing for wars uh, in the future? Could it actually um, be a good thing? I don't know. I mean, I think the two reasons that I think wars is for one, like they make a bunch of money, right? So, I mean, it's the war machine, the military industrial complex. And another one is like creating central banks, right? Like if you look, a lot of people say that the Middle East was about oil, but if you really look into it, the Middle East, the you know, primary countries we invaded didn't have Rothschild central banks, right? Yeah. So a lot of the, the more recent, you know, Gulf invasions have been around that. But I mean, the Saudi oil fields right now are worthless, absolutely worthless. These fields that we've spent, trillions and trillions of dollars trying to be right, right after the right after the ipo so very uh very uh you know fortuitous for aramco gets a multi-trillion dollar valuation and then uh it reminds me almost of the uh we see the Chappelle show where they're talking about the oil, the yellow cake and trying to go over there and Chappelle's like oil we're talking about oil like we're over here for oil like this i don't know, I don't know if you guys remember that one but i thought that was a hilarious sorry yeah. cut you off of that one uh, no it's cool and it's i mean I think it's going to demotivate war. I mean, for one, people don't want war anyway. So, I mean, as long as people, you know, stand up for what they believe in, we're not going to see any more. But I mean, it's it's a massive hit in the game theory of wars, right? I mean, because they've created this game theory for wars to be profitable, and it's just reducing the overall profits of the wars. So, I mean, the likelihood of wars, I think, is getting less, while at the same time, like, the instability makes the likelihood more. But I just, I don't foresee there being a war. I mean, 2016... Um, I mean, and this is what I've said about this whole thing that's been going on is like, I don't foresee these control mechanisms actually succeeding that they're trying to put in. They're, the masks are off. They're doing what they would We're have We're going to get into what we talked about yesterday about the game plan was to get one with Russia. And then this is sort of like a backup plan. Yeah, yeah. So they, they tried to, Obama and Hillary, if you saw, they tried to start a war with Russia. They put worse sanctions on Russia than, uh, you know, we did on Japan to start World War II. And I mean, this is when I knew the world was going to be all right, because Putin, he responded and he said, I shall not subscribe to this kid part in politics. <laughs> Any Americans that are still in the Kremlin during New Year, come party with us at Kremlin. <laughs> any, any mother Russians that are still stuck in America, we send you flight. You come party with us too. <laughs> and I was like, all right. Man. Like, I mean, Hillary and Obama were doing everything they could. So you need in order to create a global dictatorship right you need instability because you need the people to say please save us please save us our dictator mm -hmm. right? that's what they do so they didn't have this war to destabilize these and then be able to say okay we won the war because after world war ii is when our military industrial complex got worse like terrible right i mean that's when we took over the world that's when we set petrodollar well, nation cia etc yeah, we cut, you know, we broke up Berlin, we destroyed economies, we, right? So 
you know, World War II was really profitable for us for at least a century afterwards, right? But, you know, they're running to a point where the Federal Reserve System wasn't designed to last more than 100 years. So they need that fresh war, right? But also be something they can destabilize. Then you throw a little coronavirus pandemics at, you know, it's just too much for everybody. And then they come in and say, oh, well, we need government. We need to make the new world. Right? Everybody knows they've been that. Yeah. The probabilities are dwindling, dwindling. When there's that war, the probabilities went from like percent to like twenty. You know, now it's just this this sign that people are by G towers. You know, even though it's false information, it still shows a dissent. There's a lack of uh, connection between citizens and governments. Right? Governments don't care, and people are realizing. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, and and by the way, I mean, I should add that even during World War II, they were already getting uh, ready for wars decades away. FDR was arming Ho Chi Minh in in yeah. Vietnam all the way back then, and obviously, and this is something this is a, something I go over as much as I can uh, here at World Alternative Media. Let's look back here for a moment. Um, the U.S. helped prop up Hitler against the Communist Party, then helped ally with the USSR communists against Hitler, then uh, later on down the line ended up arming and funded Mujahideen against the USSR. It's always kind of like a trickle-down process where they create the next crisis out of the current crisis. And, and Saddam was a CIA asset, man, by old man Bush, and the CIA sponsored the coup to put him into power. I mean, it's... Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what worries me, though, the most regarding uh, this issue, especially with the monetary system, is the monetary system always seems to need a war. Every economic crisis is followed by a war, every single one. Um, and obviously, uh, after 2008, we saw Libya and Yemen. And, and right now, I mean, I can't even imagine how they're going to try and compensate for this, how much deficit spending they're going to go into. Uh, we're looking at the collapse of the Roman Empire in a more technocratic world. So, I mean, one has to ask. How, who who will be the victor in this? Are we going to be able to overcome uh, this insanity? And somebody, somebody did ask Colin in the, they go, how does this guy know anything about 5G and what it does to the body? So I don't know if you want to give anybody uh, like any of your, like your background <laughs> or credentials. Or, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I go way back. I mean, my father co-founded SpaceX, so I grew up in the- What's that? Rocket <laughs> <laughs> company thing, yeah. Um, and so we work on uh, microsatellites and mesh networks, so um, primarily working with specific frequency bands. Uh, 5G deployments right now are less than 6 gigahertz. They're using two ISM bands, 2.4 gigahertz and 5.825 gigahertz, um, which is Wi-Fi, right? Your Wi-Fi uses 2.4 for 802.11n, and then 802.11ac is 5.8 gigahertz. Um, newer you know, deployments of 24 gigahertz are not quite there yet. There actually are no deployments because you have a really short penetration range of 24 gigahertz. You get about 500 meters um, at the energy density that you're allowed to actually broadcast, you know, and it doesn't pass through walls as well. So anybody that's saying 5G right now has caused the coronavirus. Um, there has been no change in the electromagnetic conditions over the last 10 years because people have been running Wi-Fi's, right? So, you know, Sprint's, I think, doing 2.4 gigahertz. Verizon's trying to get up to 24 gigahertz. But they're having issues with the phase array antennas and distance, right, and throughput. So the smaller wavelength does give them a little bit more precise measurements of your location, right? So that's one of the downsides of it. But we're kind of working on an anti-5G. Uh, so think about yeah, it. They're, they're uh, calling you a 5G shill in the comments. Never mind. But I mean, one has no. to also note that there's no scientific evidence, zero whatsoever, that um, 5G could possibly give you coronavirus. It just doesn't. And I mean, talk about Iran. I mean, I've been in that region. It started from a guy saying that 
viruses or a toxic excrement from a cell and whatever. And, you know, we compared the Spanish flu to the electrification of the world. But you'd need to have a change in the electrification of the world if that theory of recentral, even if it were, you know, scientifically proven that viruses are caused by electromagnetic energy, you'd have to have a change in the conditions. There has been no change. 5G deployments are Wi-Fi. It is Wi-Fi. So I just... I'm not necessarily an advocate of the really, really high frequency Wi-Fi's. We're actually kind of on the opposite side of 5G. Like I said, we're working on an anti-5G at People's Network mm -hmm. um, and also working with harmonic frequencies because it's all about harmonics. Okay, um, Electromagnetic energy, all of it will cook you at 100 watts, right? It starts cooking. I mean, the microwave oven is not the frequency. It's the intensity of the RF exposure, right? So... <clears throat> And by the way, just for those in the chat that are saying that I'm pushing 5G, I've, I have people on from both sides of this argument, and I'm happy to have a conversation with anyone regarding this. I'm no scientist, but one thing I do know is there's a lot of issues of inefficiency regarding 5G. Obviously, yeah. uh, just with hubs in front of everyone's houses and the extent that you have to unroll it is insane. But uh, Well, and there's obviously an issue where the, the government just went and did whatever they wanted. They built a telecom network and said, screw you guys, you know, and people are obviously upset about it because they didn't have a choice. They didn't have a say in it. Right. So that's why we're kind of working on the opposite disruptive side of that, creating mesh networks and satellite mm -hmm. constellations using, you know, public ISM frequencies that are harmonic wavelengths of, you know, the Schumann frequency, which is actually Earth frequency. Earth has a frequency called the Schumann. Um, in the upper atmosphere and the ground. And believe it or not, that Schumann frequency is actually spiked at 100 hertz more recently. Um, over the last few weeks, it generally is about eight hertz, right? So think of this vibration. The earth is in a magnetic field, an electromagnetic field, and this vibration is affecting all of us, right? Mm -hmm. So this Schumann frequency, right, using something that's a harmonic wavelength of that, you're going to get constructive wave interference instead of destructive. So when you have something that's out of phase with another wave or it's in a destructive harmonic, right, um, it's kind of like if you've ever done those, uh, what are the semicircle rooms and you stand in the very middle, you can clap and you won't hear it because you mm -hmm. can phase cancellation from the two sound waves here. By the time you hit the very center, both of them are exactly 180 degrees out of phase with one another. And so, boom, they cancel yeah. each other out and you don't hear the sound. That's destructive wave interference. Constructive wave interference is the sound will be amplified. It will be multiplied. So when you have something that's a harmonic, a constructive harmonic, that you're going to make a clap and it's going to amplify it. It's going to sound louder to you, right? So in that same sense, we're working with you know frequencies that are known to be more associated with our bioelectrical system Right, so that we can still get the benefits of telecommunication systems, but we're not going to be seeing so many of these negative side effects of it. And it's also a type of system that we're designing to be a people's network. Like I was saying earlier, go out. Can and you explain something. what a? Because you said mesh network, and we know what that is, uh, Josh and I. But can you maybe explain to the people out there what a mesh network is? Because uh, you're working on an anti five G, and you're yeah. not supporting five G. You're just no. saying that the current five no. G they have is not well, what is being. We're using some things against them to create an anti five G, but we're using the proper harmonics, right? Um, which is just going to be more consistent with your biological system. So you're going to get less interference, right? Right now, we're just using any base 10 frequency. We're not really thinking in harmonics, which, you know, you know, we've got a lot to yeah. do. And by the way, we're, we're getting back into oil right away because I see some people commenting on it. But I do want to mention that, I mean, generally speaking, I am not going to hang out below a 5G cell phone tower. I'm not yeah. going to be, you know, yeah. hanging out around. I mean, I know a lot of telecom engineers that uh, build those towers that would not, uh, you would, would not recommend that. Um, but with that said, anyway, the, we, I want to talk a little bit more about um, what's happening in the oil markets right now. For those that are just tuning in, we watched oil go into the negative today, which is absolutely astonishing and is something 
something that we we it's totally unprecedented. And um, right now we just are reaching the closing bell at this moment. So I want to refresh things on my screen and see um, what we're currently what the current situation is. Uh, Dow down two point three nine percent, and I'm loading my oil price page right now, and it's still around negative. It looks below negative thirty at the moment. How, however, that works. And uh, Tim, for those that didn't hear you before, uh, explain how oil goes into the negative and what that, how that even works. Can you go into that a bit? Yeah, further? we're actually. Oh my God, I just saw a negative fifty-four right now in trading uh, economics, which shows a negative three hundred ninety-seven percent decline for the day. Holy crap! This is just. And I had to go back to Colin's face on there just to show that reaction. We're used to this stuff. We're used to like 80% swings in crypto because it's still new. It's volatile. But this is... And I'm even seeing, like Josh was talking about the markets. So let's go back to the markets. And then it's like, oh, the Dow is only down 595 points. And it seems like... Uh, so like, ne- like negative five ninety five just seems like who who even cares? Like that's not even. It's funny that we're at this point in in this uh, collapse that we're just oh five hundred ninety five. Well, that's nothing. Don't worry about. And thank it. you the for the super chat. Thank you for the super chat, Jesse M. We did see that coming through. But yeah, so to get back to Josh's question and how it could be negative. So right now there is about a twenty five uh, million barrel per day difference between the amount that is being uh, produced and the amount that is being consumed. And so these these oil patches they it's not easy to just it's not like it's more like a nuclear reactor you can't just you know flip a switch it's not like we're homer simpson over here at a nuclear reactor just hitting some buttons and turning it on and off you can't just dial up and down a nuclear reactor so you can't just dial up and down one of these uh you know these oil wells real easily and so so you have all these operators all across the world and, and let's focus you know more in america and and so they have bonds that America. they can't pay. America, they have bonds that they can't pay. And they have workers that they can't pay. And so right now, it, in order for them to shut down an oil well and then let's say restart it in four or five months or restart it three months later, that could be a multi-million dollar, multi-tens of millions of dollars proposition. And so what they're saying is, well, there's no more places to store the oil. So all the tankers are filled, all the other spots that they keep it are filled. And so in order to get the oil off their hands, they need to pay somebody to take delivery. And there's really no need for delivery because all the places are already topped off. And so what they're doing is, so it's like you, you your gas tank's already filled. Every Everyone's, all the places where they store oil, they've already used that, but they're still producing oil. And so they need to get that oil off their hands. And so the, the only way to get the oil off their hands is to incentivize somebody. And so Maybe they're like, well, hey, if I'm just holding on to this raw oil in my backyard, I'm going to need somewhere to store it. And so now it's saying, okay, to take this oil off my hands, I'm going to pay you $53 a barrel for the for the made delivery, which is insane because nobody wants to deliver it because they're already filled and they don't have any places to store it. And then I'm sure there's government rules and regulations and how you can properly store it. You can't just go and you know get like a bucket full of oil and just store it in your backyard because I can guarantee there's a law against that, which is why you have to have the special containers that they make you use. So it's this weird, not even sure what the right word for it is because it's never happened before, like this backwardation of the oil price where it they are now paying you to take oil. And I, I, I had other stuff I was going to do today and sort of basically had to like clear the slates of this is just ridiculous crazy it's historic news. i mean it's 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 interesting these days to even be surprised by anything historic over the last couple of months we've seen so many absolutely unprecedented things happen and obviously it's it's 
Honestly, I think it's affecting a lot of people's mental health, too. I've talked with a lot of people lately. Just things are changing so fast and so strangely. It's like being this is so much crazier than a Twilight Zone episode. But, uh, you know, but I, I mean, I'm still enjoying a little bit of sun here in Mexico. It looks like Colin's outside right now. So good for him. Some people are getting some vitamin D much needed. Um, but I do want to quickly go to the super chats here and I'm going to get back to Colin in a moment because I do have an interesting question. Uh, Silverhawk sent $1.99 in the super chat. Thank you to, to you, Silverhawk. I really appreciate that. Jody sent four pounds and 99 cents in the super chats as silver gold. Where to invest $50,000 today? I have a supplier. Um, I'm not sure who wants to go into that, but, uh, I really appreciate the super chat and we'll get back to those issues, uh, later on. Uh, Jesse M sent $5 in the super chat. It says, uh, will a USO blow up? Um, and that's an interesting uh, question. Uh, but again, I really appreciate those super chats. Hitting that like button helps a lot. Um, so you're talking about, uh, it says money sign USO. Will USO blow up? Um, Tim, what do you think? Uh, I mean, right now, I mean, actually, let's go see. You know, I'm taking a look at uh, what oil is doing today, and I'm doing this in real time right now. So just bear with me. So let's go over to the screen here. So I'm just on Yahoo Finance. I'm only, I'm not saying go buy this, I'm not making any recommendations in case the SEC ends up, you know, trying to use this against me. But, you know, you're not seeing gigantic collapses actually in the price of the oil companies themselves it's only in the actual uh delivery in the futures contract and so it's a sort of a weird you know place to be in right now well i mean this has never happened so a very weird place to be in and uh and, and i mean i would start looking at buying some of these companies if you if you were to see the same downward movement that we saw in the actual oil today if we if that was reflected in the oil companies but it's weird how it's not really being reflected in the oil companies and so the market must be saying okay this is going to get back to normal in a few months or we'll figure out a way to normalize this but not making any recommendations of people to go buy if, if someone had fifty thousand dollars they can schedule with me and and uh you know have that conversation but yeah I'm not going to get me mr sec man uh, and, and uh, right 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 and by the way um we have about 700 people watching thanks everyone for tuning in today this is a historic day i know a lot of people are curious about what on earth is happening right now and uh the question is uh, but um, we'll go into this a bit further uh, shortly. Colin, I wanted to ask you about something that a lot of people um, bring up to me quite often regarding energy efficiency and cryptocurrency. And, um, you know, one of the things that I hear a lot, and obviously you're very much uh, in that uh, industry, I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on the use of energy um, to mine cryptocurrency, the, the issue a lot of people have regarding how much um, energy it takes to produce a lot. What, what, what's your take on that? And how do you respond to people who ask you about that? Um, I look at it as twofold. Um, the first one is you don't want to rely solely on proof of work for security properties of the network, as well as for energy efficiency. Um, you don't want to rely on one thing. It's kind of like the same concept if you're investing to diversify your portfolio. So when it comes to security, diversify the attack vectors, right? And make each attack vector smaller. Um, so we kind of use a, a combination of proof of work and proof of stake, but I think proof of stake by itself is still pretty vulnerable. We're seeing a lot with, you know, decentralized finance tools and stuff that they can be very uh, easily violated. Ethereum's working really hard on trying to solve the you know, nothing is stake problem. But I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. So proof of work is very, very useful for a security measurement, but it does consume a lot of energy. So the second part of the proof of work though is I think is going to drive a lot of alternative energy adoption. It's already done that. People are running Bitcoin mining farms in Iceland, right? Because they get mm -hmm. people are starting to use solar and people are starting to use wind. And so it's perfectly sustainable to have a security model 
if you know we're driving more towards these alternative energy fuels but relying solely on it yes you will run into a problem because with bitcoin you know if the difficulty goes down uh, you know the security of the network goes down where you know you want to have some redundancy with it so you know we kind of we we see the benefit of proof of work but in combination with other types of consensus mechanisms which means if you do get to a point in the future where you know energy economy is completely decimated right like we're in right now and if it continues to see effects of proof of work um then you know you don't rely completely on it and you phase out the proof of work channels and you know you just go proof of stake absolutely well by the way jody wrote in the chat can we pay super chats in oil uh you're not taking any money away from me right now uh hey i i really appreciate the super chat from rachel witcher who sent canadian ten dollars in the super chat and says love this channel we love you as well, Rachel. Thank you very much for sending in those super chats and hitting that like button if you haven't already. I want to um, uh, shift a little bit into, you know, are we going to see electric wind, sol solar wind? Um, I've seen evidence going back decades that there was water-powered cars that uh, were were being produced, um, you know, hemp, all sorts of things. What do you think will win on the market when we're seeing, obviously uh, we're seeing a power shift happen here. Yeah. I mean, the water powered cars are still pretty far out. Um, that's using resonance electrolysis. I've done a lot of research in it. It's actually pretty interesting technology. I mean, water powered cars are really not effective because you have the car not efficiency with the heat cycles of an engine. So basically you can only absorb about 40% of the actual heat from an engine. Um, so you're basically running at maximum 40%. Most cars run at 20% efficiency. So running hydrogen fuel cells in combination with uh, high voltage electrolysis, you're basically taking the water molecule, which is polar. You have their hydrogens here and then the oxygen. And the oxygen is attracted to the positive plate. Hydrogen is attracted to the negative plate. And you resonate it and it causes it to disassociate, right? So mm -hmm. there's technology like that that's starting to become a little bit more known, which is good. Hydrogen technology. I mean, and hydrogen is the most abundant atom in the universe. Everything comes from hydrogen, right? And it's the most explosive. It's extremely reactive, right? Um, hydrocarbons, they get most of their explosiveness from the hydrogen, hydrocarbon, right? Um, wind, I think they're really too inefficient. They're big. They're clunky. They have a really low power output. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I mean, they're somewhat effective. Tidal is starting to look pretty promising. I know there's new solar technology where they did like, what was it, graphene? They did a graphene. I think Nathan was talking about this the other day. It's a graphene board that's one atom thick, and they were getting up to 60 or 70% efficiency from solar, right? So I think the biggest one that's going to hit is solar. It's the most available. It's, you know, it's expensive, but it's the most available technology. People can pump out solar panels. It's easy to put them on your roof. When you start getting in the other alternatives like solar, wind, geothermal, they become like more geographic. So we'll see geothermal, obviously, where there's, you know, geothermal activity. Um, I'm sure we're going to ramp up a lot on the nuclear, which, you know, you could say, you know, there's positive benefit, you know. Yeah, I mean, Google has been working on cold fusion for a while. Yeah, well, cold fusion doesn't work, I mean, because of the Coulomb barrier. So the mm -hmm. Coulomb barrier is uh, when you're trying to force two protons together in the sun, proton-proton fusion they repel each other, right? Electrostatic repulsion. They're both positively charged. They don't want to be together. And that Coulomb barrier is at 10 to the 21 Kelvin. So it's an incredible amount of energy. So I'm not super convinced of the cold fusion. If anybody's getting energy in a fusion-like process, it's most likely not fusion yeah. <laughs> um, because you're having to overcome this incredible energy, which means you have to tap into some other type of energy, right? So yeah, I'm, I've never been particularly convinced in that. But I think I think the atom itself is a battery, right? I mean, mm -hmm. e equals mc squared. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. That's what that equation means. It's just saying matter and energy are equivalent. A little teeny bit of matter is a lot of energy. 
That's what a nuclear bomb is doing. That's what a nuclear reactor is doing. It's destroying that. But what if there's other ways to extract that atomic energy without having to do fusion, right? And that's where I think resonance is one of them, right? If I take an oscillator and I put it on post, I find the frequency of that post resonant frequency. It's going to cause the post to vibrate itself apart. But I've added no additional energy in the system. I've just unlocked an energy that already existed within the system, right? So I think more interest in kind of resonance technologies. I mean, things that are obviously proven and work. You know, there's a lot of pseudoscience out there in alternative energy, and you got to be really careful with that. You know, mm-hmm. people with their Bendini wheels and things, and like they don't work. <laughs> you know, I mean. There's concepts of it, like bifolar coils and stuff that are interesting, you know, that increase the efficiency of the coil. But yeah, so yeah, I mean, definitely solar and there's going to be a huge jump in battery technology because when you use a huge jump in solar, batteries are a big issue too there. So, you know, maybe we'll move away from the type of batteries that we have right now because they're extremely destructive. The irony of hybrids, right? Like you buy a Toyota Prius, those batteries pollute more to create them than a car does in its entire lifetime, right? So the batteries are a big yeah, problem. You gotta like move like an entire mountain basically to make those. And that's not even then considering having to dispose of them and the fact that the lifespan is, is way less than I mean, your your dad is, you know, a car guy, you're a big car guy, you know more about this stuff. And so it's gotta be maddening. And your dad's also a rocket scientist. So I love how they say, you know, we don't have any like your dad helped found co uh, co found SpaceX. And so they're always like, oh, 100% of the scientists agree. And that's why I love seeing your dad on Facebook and all the stuff that he posts because I'm like, BS, 100% of the scientists do not agree because I know Jim Cantrell damn well doesn't agree. And I also, I hate it whenever I hear 100% of scientists agree on anything because if that's the case and it's not science, that's just... Dude, the scientific industry is just hogwash itself. Like to get your paper even published, right? Like that has to be somebody that you have to pay someone to pay, you know, and it's just like, it's it's all hogwash. I mean, yeah. science is another religion in itself, right? And now they have these particle accelerators, like the basis of science is I should be able to verify it myself, right? But how do I verify it myself if you're the one with the particle accelerator? Now it's just another type of religion. Oh, we're making the God particle? Like, yeah. It's one thing to say math is consensus, but to say scientific theory is consensus is an oxymoron. Um, I do want to uh, ask uh, Tim, you know, I, with what we're witnessing in the economy within the markets, we're seeing the collapse of oil, we're seeing um, the collapse of pensions, we're seeing the collapse of the stock market, we're seeing vast money printing, we're seeing a lot of people uh, have, have lost their jobs, we're looking at a potential uh, 500 million people worldwide losing their jobs. I mean, it's unthinkable and unprecedented. I wanted to hear your thoughts on uh, how uh, is this ever going to come to a precipice anytime soon? Are we anywhere close to the climax or are we going to still be on this roller coaster ride for um, a 5, 10, 15 years as some people have uh, been theorizing? Well, you know, I think if you work for one of the big banks or one of the vaccine manufacturers or for, you know, uh, big pharma that, yeah, you probably are going to end up being okay and life will get back to normal for you very, very quickly. And thank you to Chester Wolf for the uh, $10 super chat we see on screen. Uh, now, if you're the average, if you're one of the 500 million that just lost one of their jobs worldwide, then, you know, your new normal is going to be, you know, having a government food stamp or having some sort of, you know, way for them to take care of you. I mean, we already saw uh, uh, Luke Radowski and I did a video earlier today on Change the News where we had talked about the digital dollar where you're seeing uh, Rashida, I forgot her name, uh, Rashida Talib is yeah, saying, she reintroduced okay, it. We're going to have two trillion dollar coins. So not just one. So, you know, the Paul Krugman, one trillion dollar coins. <laughs> But that idea, that sucks. You know, eight-minute apps? No, no. We got seven-minute apps. No. So this is a two-trillion-dollar coins, and those trillion-dollar coins are they going to be used to fund – it's called the ABC Act. I forgot what it stands for. Uh, and then so that's going to be fu- used to fund a $2,000 a month universal basic income for six months on top of not having to pay your rent or mortgage for six months. But then it's going to go to a Fed funds 
digital account. So you're going to have a digital dollar. Then that digital dollar will then is what would be the mechanism to then give you your $2,000 a month. And then eventually it's going to be, oh, well, you know, you didn't, you know, get into this government program or we want to incentivize you. Now, I'm not saying this is not going to happen immediately. Like that part might be very, very soon. But eventually, you know, once you're a year into this, it's going to be, oh, well, you know, you didn't get your COVID-19 vaccine and now you can't be, you know, you don't have the proof to go to watch the Lakers game or go to this game. You don't have some or, technocratic ID that's attached to it and all that. Kind and, of I mean, and then Bill Gates, and then Bill Gates is pushing that. Bill Gates is pushing. We just saw there was a 666 like patent. Well, it was like patent number 2020060606. And it was on some sort of uh, this like brain reading algorithm thing where they can have this crypto that's wearable that you can mine your crypto by reading ads and by doing performing certain tasks well this is this is what it actually says in the patent here uh Wait, microsoft is building a blockchain they're, they oh, they made a patent fun. that's gonna <laughs> oh man they're gonna get so destroyed dude oh uh, well they always do and that's a funny part but as the patent oh. itself says abstract it says human body activity associated with a task provided to to a user may be used in a mining process of a cryptocurrency system a server may provide a task to a device uh, of a user which is communicatively uh, coupled to the server a sensor communicatively coupled or to or co uh, comprised in the device of the user may sense body activity of the user body activity data may be generated based on the sensed body activity of the user the cryptocurrency system communicatively coupled to the device of the user may verify if the body activity data satisfies one or more conditions set by the cryptocurrency system and award cryptocurrency to the user whose body act uh, activity data is verified so that's what the patent oh, wow. says. That's 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 a nice little like back door that they're trying to do right there. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's gonna go anywhere. I mean, I <laughs> they just don't have the receptivity of people. Yeah, okay, you know, I can't go to this game, blah blah blah, because you know I didn't get my vaccine. And there's gonna be people who are gonna be like, okay, well, let's make our own football stadium. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't need the football or stadium. People want to say, how are we just stop watching football? Yeah, it's, yeah, you know? male, it's like male soap opera, and it's not. And, yeah. and back in the day, I used to watch football and don't degrade people for watching it you know there's some bread and circus i watch too but it has turned into the male sports drama of oh now i'm a man and what i need to do is i need to go watch you know what uh espn sports center says every day then they politicize that then espn then becomes uh oh you know we can't play you know hank williams jr because he made fun of obama and and so they so they're they how they change things is through the culture. And so that's why having a show like what Josh is putting on now is so important. And, you know, we were talking, this is getting way off the rails, but, you know, we were talking yesterday, mm -hmm. Colin and I were, uh, you know, we, this is what you have when you have random, we have, you know, uh, two anarchist volunteers getting together in the backyard. And they were talking about, uh, you know, fully informed jerseys and, and how, you know, really to stop a lot of the stuff, you know, so much stuff happens, you know, in the judicial system, but if we were to then get out and let people know that, you know, with the juries, you have the ability to then stop a lot of this stuff. And so to make it cool to be in the juries, but then, uh, nullifying their decisions is the ultimate power we the people have but we've it, we've been culture jammed to think oh it's so cool to i got out of jury duty or i was able to get out of it this way and it, i know it's nothing to do with what we're talking about now but it's just you know but it's very important and how we bring things back and help restore the country is by saying you know what yeah maybe he's guilty but that law is bs and shouldn't even be there to begin with speaking be fair, of which, i don't really care about restoring the country I mean, but, okay. restoring our right yeah yeah not making us slaves i mean that's what I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah that's yeah. that's that's it, it. It's the hidden secret, right? I'll use an old kids movie, right? Bugs Life, right? We are the ants, they are the grasshoppers, and they are scared because we are the ones that have. What about the food? 
things. No, we're the ones that have the power. And the more we start to realize our power together, the more this world is going to change for the better. And that's mm -hmm. what's going to change it. No government's going to change it. It's you that's going to change it. Even just going to your friend's house and talking about some ideas that you have, you know, localized. Just think local. Help, you know. I mean, that's that's what's going to make things better. And that's what they don't want you to know. That's why they want to get you on universal basic income because they want to get you dependent on them. They want to take away your power because that's the only way they can gain power is they're taking other people's power and building a palace on that. Mm -hmm. Other people have voluntarily given their power away in this schizophrenic delusion of supporting something that's imprisoning us, right? Yeah. And now the masks are coming off. Now is our chance that we can. It doesn't, don't be violent. That's, that's what they want you to do too because then you're a terrorist. Don't be violent. Go out there and just build things that make the system up. Evolution, not revolution. Revolution right. always, always ends in more government. It, it, revolutions always keep coming around and around and they don't do nothing, right? They just revolve and revolve and yeah. revolve. And that comes down to the most basic uh, fundamentals of the battle of good versus evil is a battle of independence versus dependence. And there's leaders and then there's followers. And unfortunately, a lot of the leaders that uh, rise up, um, you know, end up getting people on their knees by handing them treats and you know it's the same thing as handing a a, a dog oh, actually a great example of this and i'm not even sure if it's a real analogy but um stalin allegedly in front of a bunch of uh, supporters once plucked the uh feathers straight out of a chicken and the chicken was suffering and bleeding on the floor but then he started giving it some food and this chicken suddenly just started following him he was giving it food and it started following him it was bleeding it was suffering but it was a follower and it saw the leader and said, even if you pluck all the feathers out of me, I'm still going to follow you blindly. And this is an analogy that allegedly Stalin made to a bunch of supporters back in uh, the late 1920s talking about how easy it is to get people to follow. And this is an issue that we really need to nip in the butt going forward is our individual individuality, uh, the basis of humanity itself, the basis of freedom itself. It's synonymous to say freedom and responsibility. You don't get it from government. They can try to take it away. And if you willingly give it away, then that's on you. But you as an individual need to take that back as, as an individual, not expect some government to give you independence. That's never going to happen. Exactly. Um, I do want to mention a uh, super chat that we got here from Chester Wolf. The Griffin sent $10 in the super chat says there is a huge demand for electric vehicles. The major oil companies know this. This empire is falling apart. They're desperate to hold on to their monopoly at any cost necessary. I absolutely agree that they're going to try as much as they can. But the issue with government versus a free market is that they're incredibly inefficient. They have the guns, but the guns don't go off as much as, you know, the alarm does. So it's a fear that gets people uh, in chains. They rarely actually enforce. It's usually always just the fear of enforcement that gets people to bow down yeah, can and I, raise... Yeah, oh, sorry, ahead, I wanted to give a shout out. And uh, I did see we have Morpheus who was commenting in the and if, if it's the actual Morpheus, uh, oh, I definitely Morpheus. want to give him a shout out. And and also Chris Rice Crypto, but Morpheus, for those who don't know his story, I mean he got basically the, the real quick version is you know basically the government came in. Actually, it was it was it was on this day. Was it two years ago? It was on four twenty two years ago oh, when the government yeah. yeah 2017 like april 19th. yeah it was, it was so it was this day exactly three years ago today you had uh it was like the fbi the atf scottsdale police maricopa county police you know 
every like they like SWAT teams uh, and SWAT teams him for selling Bitcoin on local Bitcoins because they essentially entrapped him uh, by having one of their government agents say certain things. Not going to get into the whole case, but in the in the court, and this is where I first learned about like how important it was to have the jury because I was in the courtroom when they were picking out the jury, and they were saying so on one side I've got Adam Kokesh, the other side I've got Ernie, and surprised we didn't get 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 kicked out of there, and they end up saying. Uh, Anybody know anything about Bitcoin? It's like, oh, yep. All right. Well, you're off the jury. Oh, anybody uh, doesn't like, uh, you know, entrapment. And then, oh, yep. Every minority guy there, he's off the jury. And oh, anybody. And it's just like they all want a bunch of Karens in there to be the people who then make the decision. So then that's when I realized I'm like 99% of the battle is who you get depicted as your, they, it's everything, they do everything they can to make sure it's not a jury of your peers. Uh, but yeah, but Morpheus, you know, he served his time just getting, just got out. As soon as he gets out, everybody's on lockdown. So that sort of sucks. Uh, but he, but sure anyway, it's nice to him though. <laughs> but yeah, but in that trial, though, yeah, in that trial though, they, the judge, they, the government tried getting him on like a bunch of different things and they only were really only to get him on like a few of those things. He beat, uh, through a public defender, beat most of the charges, uh, specifically, I mean, some of them have a gigantic ripple effect for the entire Bitcoin industry as a whole, not just on his own case. I mean, they were able to prove, so Kyle, what were some of the things they were able to prove in that, in that case? They were saying that essentially that, you know, you weren't a financial institution if you yourself was transacting Bitcoin with somebody else. And, uh, there was a bunch of big precedents that were set in that case. They tried to get him for money transmitter, but they couldn't because the definitions of a money transmitter is like, you have to take money from one to another, but you also have to control the supply. So I think some of the vague definitions that they got him for money laundering, I think is what finally stuck because they, they said that, uh, you know, it was for, you know, cannabis or something like that. And, you know, he was like, I don't care, you know, and then they used that as some, you know, to try to entrap him in that. But yeah, I mean, the IRS kind of shot themselves in the foot because they wanted to regulate crypto with FinCEN under, you know, a currency, but then they wanted to tax it like a property. So you get hit with a double whammy, but the property tax it basically makes it a bit more of a gray area where the court had a really difficult time trying to say that he was a money transmitter and they couldn't get that to stick. So that was a really, yeah, it was precedent. a very crazy case. And I was there for a few, the only court trial I've ever, I've ever covered before. So definitely want to say hi to him. Also, I saw Chris Rice crypto was commenting as well. So say what's up to him, former Wham contributor. And, uh, yeah. And, and I want to, I want to answer a few of the super chats real quick, by the way, Richard Overton, who has an interesting name there says, I have smoked some fantastic weed. That's why I'm here. Well, welcome Richard. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the party. Uh, rainy steps and Canadian $5 and 49 cents in the super chat says great to see three smart guys on the same show. Uh, I, would I was going to absolutely... wear my, I was going to wear my, uh, Marley rush slowly from, uh, what is it? St. Kitts shirt, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have a $1.99 super chat from old geezer who says move to the country. Well, see, this is the thing. I mean, it depends which country you're in too. Uh, right now I'm in uh, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and it has been one of the most free places in the world to be during the shutdown. They haven't, you know, Put gun pointed guns at me and told me to stay in my house until today. They just announced a crackdown where I'm not allowed to walk outside. And if I do, I have to wear a mask and it must be to the grocery store and I must have bills. So I guess I'm just going to be uh, perpetually while I'm walking outside today in transit to the grocery store. So I uh, wish me luck on that. Um, anyway, uh, and wearing the mask, I, I don't need a mask tan. So, uh, you know, I'll just say some guy stole it because he needed one, which is probably true. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of uh, crazy stuff happening in the world right now. And I feel very lucky to be in a, the role I'm in. Honestly, it is one of those things where it gives you a lot of perspective in your line of work. If you work for yourself or if you work online or if you do this kind of stuff, you feel you got to feel really lucky right now, because honestly, most of the world 
is, is just getting their jobs demolished, their employment demolished. They can't afford to pay rent. And in some cases, the country comes in, the, the government comes in and says, hey, we're going to pay your rent for you, which sounds all good and fine until you realize that means they are basically saying they're uh, taking ownership over your private property. And therefore, they own your house and therefore they own you and you're just a cattle property taxes. You don't really own your own home to begin with. But that's yeah. A whole other, and then they're telling thing. everyone to get. Yeah. And they're telling everyone to get to their kennel and, and stay in their kennel and they'll be fed from time to time. You Maybe know, FEMA will come. Colin is a perfect guest for we get this question all the time. And this might be a, you know, a layup for what you're doing. But uh, I get a lot of questions that like because of quantum computing, it's going to basically render Bitcoin and crypto useless. Uh, um, and maybe can you kind of give your take on that and then also what, what you've done uh, over at Nexus Earth to then maybe, uh, you know, already kind of foresee this problem. Yeah, so um, there's two problems that all cryptography is built off of. One of them is called the integer factorization problem. So just think of that as you have really, really big, big numbers and you got to find, you know, all the multiples of that, whole multiples, integers, right? It takes a really long time. So that's the security of RSA, right? RSA is based off of that. Now, what Bitcoin's based off of is what's elliptic curb cryptography, right? which is based off of the discrete logarithmic problem. So the problem with quantum computers is these algorithms that are normally exponential time, which means two to the power of 128 generally for a 256 bit key. Um, <clears throat> for a, a perspective, two to the power of 123 is the maximum number of iterations you can count on a single computer with the known energy of the universe, right? So these numbers are extremely large, so big, like, I mean, just, Imagine all of the atoms in the universe. Like that's just massive. Like like where the Federal Reserve's uh, uh, balance sheet will be two years from now. So yeah. exactly. So um, quantum computers come in and they actually take this exponential time from a classical computing um, down to polynomial time. So polynomial just that means really, really, really bad. So you go from two to the power of one twenty three to about sixty five thousand. Right. So we're going from accounting to this ridiculous number of the known atoms in the universe to, you know, the population of a small city, um, which means that these keys will just get cracked instantly. Now, with Bitcoin, there is some type of protection in it because the public most of the addresses are what's called pay to public key hash. So you're basically hashing this public key because it's only the public key that's vulnerable to a quantum computer. So once you spend that Bitcoin, right, if you reuse the same key, then you're a lot more vulnerable to quantum computer attack. Now, is it going to completely decimate Bitcoin? It has, I don't think it's going to completely decimate it, but I think the biggest thing is it's going to really destroy a lot of confidence in its security model. Um, and people are going to start to look at other ones that I guess have confident security models that have been forward looking. And the other problem with Bitcoin is that uh, even though they've upgraded a pay to public key hash, there's a lot of Satoshi's old, old, old transactions, old Coinbase's that have just open public keys, right? It was used to be pay to public keys in the original code, right? So when you have an open vulnerable public key, that means all these untouched Satoshi coins can then be cracked and spent, right? Which could be up to a hundred, you know, or a million coins, right? Which that could be bad depending on how many of these get cracked. Um, but like I said, I think the biggest problem is the, the destruction of confidence. Now, I know I see a lot of people say quantum computers are going to destroy the mining. It has nothing to do with mining. Mining um, is just doing hashing, right? So there's different types of cryptographic primitives. Um, a hashing function is a specific type of primitive. Now, um, there's only one algorithm, post-quantum algorithm, that's known to be able to attack hashing functions, and that's called Grover's algorithm, um, which really cuts about your bit output length in half. So 
Bitcoin hashes that are SHA-256 are going to basically have 128 bits. They're going to be half the security for dual quantum computers. So 128 is still enough. So the hashing is going to be fine. It's not going to really decimate the, the mining industry. But it will do is it'll allow somebody to basically spend your coins when they don't have your private key because they'll be able to find your private key from the public key because the security of these systems rely on this discrete logarithmic problem in order to make it easy to calculate your public key from your private key very difficult to calculate it. Now, I've heard like John McAfee be like, oh, well, then the, uh, the the miners, they'll get that or, you know, they'll get the technology, too. And so it'll be quantum versus quantum and then they'll cancel each other out. So quantum won't be a big deal. So, I mean, what would you say to that? Because I'm not, I'm yeah, not the it, expert in this. I, I legitimately don't know. Head out for just a second. Can you repeat that question? So a guy like John McAfee would say something like, oh, well, we're going to get quantum on our side, too. And so our quantum will then take over the government's quantum and those will cancel each other out. And so no, 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 no. Quantum computer is a quantum computer, right? I mean, like if we have a quantum computer, we can break our own encryption, right? I mean, it's still broken encryption, right? It doesn't matter who does it. I mean, if quantum computers get into the hands of people that are non-governmental um, earlier, then I think possibly uh, you know we're going to see less government sponsored attacks right but you're still going to see attacks it's a profitable attack hey if i see all satoshi's private keys you know public keys and i can extract them then yeah sure why don't i spell that and then i mean if you want to destroy the confidence of the system that's a good way to do it so right now it's um quantum computers there's different types so these are also a specific type of quantum computer so think of quantum computers like asics there's no really universal quantum processor yet and there's no quantum memory even either right so at 1,792 qubits, a Bitcoin private key will be broken, right? Now, the last I saw, I think we're at like a few hundred qubits for Shor's algorithm, um, but some of the Google D-Waves are at a few thousand, but that's a different type of algorithm. So I give it four years, maybe. I mean, but this- and Now, what, what, you, what are you guys doing to get ahead of this? Because what first got me, and this is not financial advice, and I'm not even sure what Nexus, and, and the good thing is you never talk about Nexus price. And so, and, there, and then also- there is a Nexus Earth and there is a Nexus, your Nexus Earth. Nexus blockchain. Yeah, we're then trying there's to another get... Nexus with two X's and that are yeah, just do Nexus blockchain, you'll pick us up. Nexus Earth was our old domain, nexusearth.com. We're at nexus.io now, so just Nexus blockchain. But and, and what and what and so what are you guys doing to sort of you know get ahead so of this? We've created uh, kind of two aspects that we can bat quantum computers with, or three, I guess. We I was saying our security is through redundancy, right? So you don't rely on one system for your, your end all and all. You decentralize the security model, right? Like proof of work is a centralized security model. You rely on just the security of the miners and that's it. If miners go away, boom, there goes your security. So we have an architecture called signature chains that basically it rekeys your key every single time you make a transaction. So it prevents you from reusing the key and it hashes that key. So the key hasn't actually, it's not published to the network when you create um, your transaction that's you know giving you the spendability of that. And then when you spend it, that's when the public key is actually revealed, which gives you about a 10 second window to attack it with a quantum computer. Um, so let's say you got a quantum computer, you attack it, and this is just the first barrier. I'm gonna get to more barriers. This is like a worst case scenario. Let's say you aren't opted into using post-quantum cryptography. You're just using a sig chain. Somebody has your internal network poisoned, right? They've hacked your, your local network and they got a quantum computer, right? This is a lot of really improbable stuff. This let's, just assume, let's just assume it was the Russians. Yeah, let's say it's the Russians. Um, they hack the key in five or 10 seconds. Then what they're going to do instantly is they're going to broadcast a conflict, right? They're going to say, oh, well, I want it to be this next hash instead of your next hash. And they're going to try to get their conflict to overtake the other one. But the way that we work with pre-processing is when a transaction comes in and there's one that's conflicted, it gets put into a special part of the mempool that says, hey, this is a conflicted transaction. So if a block comes in to try to process that conflicted transaction, the block won't relay until a miner builds a block on top of that, right? 
So it makes it very difficult for somebody to force a conflict through. The only way to really try to get the network to resolve a conflict in your favor is to broadcast a transaction edge edge of the network at the same time and hope that that propagation path, your you know attack transaction propagates faster than the other one. So that's the worst case scenario with a quantum computer and you're not using post-quantum cryptography. But we have layers of redundancy. So we also give them an option for using a post-quantum algorithm called FALCON, which stands for Fast Fourier Lattice-Based Compact Signatures over NTRU. I know it's a mouthful, but basically it's not relying on the uh, discrete logarithmic problem. It's relying on what's called the close vector problem. So it's essentially there are no known post-quantum attacks available, but that doesn't, there's no such thing as quantum secure, right? There's only resistance. So we're using these post-quantum algorithms. We're using Grover's algorithm as part you know, of our security um, with the signature chains and hashing these public keys and rekeying and making sure they're never used twice. <laughs> and then the final one is if you decide you want to, you can just turn your wallet and you just switch the option to say use Falcon and boom, now you have post-quantum cryptography. So it makes the upgrade path easier, but we also have the Falcon in a hybrid signature scene with signature chains so that you secure the Falcon because it's still going through the NIST competitions right now because there is no post-quantum cryptography. There's only graphic primitives that are using um, macro problems that have no known post-quantum vulnerabilities. And right now, everyone that, even if you, I mean, I haven't smoked anything today and my mind's already blown. So I'm sure if anyone was partaking in any 420 today, they're just like, like and I, I would just love if somebody's like, would, would be like, what does this guy know about hashing algorithms or something? Already better than the Elon Musk, uh, Joe Rogan experience. I'll put it that way. But hey, uh, guys, I'm really, I really appreciate um, all the insight into these issues today. Obviously, it's the uh, hell of a world we're living in, and we're making the best of it. I think we're um, trying to innovate. We're trying to construct and create new great things out of the dust. You know, the phoenix must rise from the ashes. And I do want to, I tell everyone, we're to both hit that coming. We're both coming from Phoenix, so both uh, Colin and I. So yeah, the phoenix would rise yeah. from the ashes. So, so. <laughs> well, the people have been asking where he's coming from in, in the comments, uh, left and right. So we're we're both coming from Phoenix. Josh is coming. We're from all Portland, in nice Minnesota. weather. This is we're very lucky right now. Um, some people. Well, I mean, I guess if you're quarantined in minus four. 40 in Canada. It's not that bad. But uh, hey, so guys, I, I really appreciate everyone joining us today. Make sure to hit the like button below. Check those links below. Join our new newsletter at www.imband.com because, uh, well, we are very much shadow banned. Um, and we uh, you can become a client of Tim Pachotes at thelibertyadvisor.com. We've got all the links that you need in the bottom and then more we'll put up in the chat here as we close this off. Chester Wolf, the Griffin, sent $5 in the super chat and says, I'm so pissed off. Pennsylvania issued a mandatory mask law. If you're going to be in public or at work, you must wear a mask. Yeah, well, must is uh, sub is kind of subjective. Uh, are you going to? Are you going to, to obey? And I think uh, the answer comes down to how you feel about that. I'm not going to tell anyone to do anything here, but uh, I'm just saying like uh, the force, the fear of force is greater than the force. Um, I do want to mention one person's comment. Uh, Hammer wrote, BSV is a real Bitcoin. Uh, I, I think let's let's see the free market react to this. The competing currency system will uh, decide uh, whether you like it or not. Eventually, I want to know. Um, I want to know what he was smoking because that's what we need. So. I take it though we do have a BSV address if you want uh, in the description among many other cryptos. Um, anyway, uh, I really appreciate everyone joining us. Who would ever thought we, the day that that uh, BS that oil that BSV is worth more than oil? I mean, it's like, I don't know. So, I don't know. whoever so. thought when BSV was $5 that it would hit almost $500 within a couple months. And, and who sold uh, it? For, and who sold it at $5? Shut up, anybody shut in the up, upper left-hand corner that sold yeah, it for $5? Just, uh, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I've, I've made mistakes in my life, but you know what? It's all on principle. Not and, financial you know, advice. Yeah. Anyway. Principle is not good for making money. I learned that, but you know, you can at least live with yourself and that's yeah. what's important. That's, so. that's right. And kick yourself on those days where you're like, damn it, why do I have to be principal? But Hey, I, I really appreciate everyone uh, joining us today. Um, Colin uh, Cantrell, please let everyone know where they can find more of your work and support the Austin I've got the website pulled up too right now. So you guys can watch Nexus. So Nexus.io. If you want to check out our website, you can also check us. We're Nexus official on Twitter, um, Nexus blockchain on YouTube. There's lots of interviews, lots of material. Um, if you're interested, yeah, definitely we need as many boots on the ground because it's 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 a peaceful change of things, right? I mean, we're focusing when all this stuff happened, it's like we need to build and we need to build and we need to build and we need as many people helping build as possible. So think local, like work together, like you know, find your own, find your own inner power, right? Like that's what this is about. This is you know, take this opportunity instead of looking at it as something bad, say, okay, how can I turn these lemons into lemonade? How can I better myself to exceed the necessities of me in this situation, right? How can I find that serenity, that individuality within me? And, you know, do it. Do it. Follow follow you. You know what you need to do inside. Don't be scared. Do it. Absolutely. Tim, you got uh, any final words? Uh, I was just thinking of serenity now, like from uh, Seinfeld when you were talking about a little bit of serenity. But no, other than that, I mean, you guys can find me at thelibertyadvisor.com. Uh, also, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, got lots of stuff over there too. So if you guys want to check out the YouTube channel, also have a podcast. We're probably going to start having all every show I do go on to that podcast too. And then uh, eventually getting Josh's podcast up there too. So uh, yeah, you guys can just find me at Tim Pichot with the Liberty Advisor and I'll comment now and say hi. You guys can find that link. Just c c check it and uh, join up over there. Awesome. And obviously, uh, you can find our other uh, YouTube channel at Wham Space Cast. Wham Cast probably won't be used for long because we are getting videos just taken down left and right here on YouTube. But we will prevail because, of course, we are on the alternatives. And it takes you guys going to those alternatives as well. And one of those being, of course, float.app. That's F-L-O-T-E dot A-P-P. I really hope you find us at, at Josh Searson as well as at Wham, all linked below. And, of course, share this video on social media because... The algorithm is not in our favor these days, my friends, and you guys are the ones that bring the viewers, bring the eyes, bring the ears to this information. So I really appreciate everyone joining us today. Check all those links. They're all relevant. And until next time, thank you so much for uh, joining us, guys. Uh, we really appreciate the insight and uh, digging through this very strange time we're living in. The apocalypse has never been so entertaining. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Until next time, this is Josh Sherrickson with Tim Pachote and, of course, Colin Cantrell signing out from World Alternative Media. Find the truth, be the change.